Well, <clears throat> if you are new to our church today, welcome. I want to welcome you to Afraid of Foursquare Church. If you're joining us online for the first time, so glad that you're here. My name is Blake, and I'm the lead pastor, and we started in December, so we're brand new to the area. And, uh, well, I guess we've been here for, we've got, a, a th- you know, three months under our belt. Uh, but it's good to have you here. We're in a series called Exiles, and we've been talking about the book of Daniel, and that it was written, let me, let me get a drink of water because my, my throat's a little... When you sing a worship set and you got to preach, it's, it's, uh, it's a little hard on your voice. <clears throat> the book of Daniel was written to give hope to God's people who are in exile and they're, and they're waiting for the return of their king or the return of their homeland. And the book of Daniel is meant to give hope not only to the generation that Daniel was in, but to every generation afterwards that we all, all of God's people, we find ourselves now in the midst of a culture, in the midst of a society that doesn't care about God. And so the book of Daniel is really a, a book of hope for those of us who, who follow God in the midst of a godless world. And it's, it's meant to give us a little bit of instruction for how to live godly in the midst of a godless this world. And we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 today. This is the famous chapter of Daniel and the lion's den. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Daniel chapter 6. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Maybe uh, you're new to church and you're just joining us. I'll bet there's a chance that you've heard this story somewhat and uh, to give you some context, Daniel, in this story of the lion's den, he is now over 80 years old. He came into Babylon when he was about 15 or 16. He was taken from Jerusalem to serve under King Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel chapter 5, what we talked about last week, uh, Babylon was attacked by Persia at the end of the chapter. And now uh, Daniel no longer serves under a Babylonian ruler. He serves under a Persian ruler, and the ruler's name is King Darius. And this is the fourth ruler that Daniel has served under, but he's 80 years old now. And this is what happens in Daniel chapter 6. And, you know, we've read this story so much, and we've, uh, maybe you've, you've heard the story taught so much. But as we read this chapter today, I'd encourage you to find those little notes or those little things that you didn't hear before. And really uh, engage yourself into this story and the person of Daniel to, and pick up on, on his, his attributes and his qualities and the things that the Bible says about Daniel and who he was as a man. So we're going to read the entire chapter. Are you ready, church? Here we go. Verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Some of your translations say that he had an excellent spirit in him, that he was excellent. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. You have a group of men who are jealous of Daniel and his exceptional qualities that the king favors him so much. And they could not find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. 
the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. What a ridiculous edict. For 30 days, nobody is going to worship any god or any human except you, king, or else they'll be thrown into a lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree into writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he ran for his life, and he never prayed ever again. No, that's not what it says. I'm making sure you all are paying attention. You're following along with me, right? Here we go. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Nothing changes for Daniel. Doesn't matter what the king says. Nothing changes for Daniel. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then the king said, Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He loved Daniel. He thought Daniel was exceptional. He, thought he favored Daniel. We're going to continue in verse 14. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. You remember in Daniel chapter 2 where Daniel prophesied, or Daniel interpreta- interpreted uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the four metals, the head of gold and, and the chest of silver, and he said that there would be a lesser kingdom than yours. Well, a lot of scholars believe that what makes King Darius and what makes Persia a lesser kingdom than Babylon is that Babylon, that King Nebuchadnezzar did not have to answer to his own decrees. He was not held accountable by his own laws because he was above the law. But King Darius here is accountable and he's held to his word. He's held to his law. And so in that, in that sense, he's a lesser king because despite knowing that Daniel is a good man, that he's exceptional, he has to follow his decree uh, regardless of, of, of how he feels. And so a lot of people believe that's what made him a lesser kingdom and a lesser king. Verse 15. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And a lot of people... Uh, maybe you've maybe you fasted like like King Darius. This is what it says. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating. Have you ever spent the night without eating? That's a King Darius fast. Those are the kind of fasts that I like to do. He spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Wow, way to go, King Darius. Good job. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, 
May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown in the lion's den, along with their wives and their children. That got dark really fast. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote, All the nations and peoples of every language of the earth. Now listen to King Darius' declaration of God and compare it to what Nebuchadnezzar has said about God in the previous chapters. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. Is this sounding familiar? Daniel chapter 2, Daniel interprets this dream for Nebuchadnezzar and says that there will be a throne that is established that will never be destroyed, that will last forever. Darius sees it as well. He is, God is revealing himself to, to Darius even now. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. This lion's den that we see in this chapter. The Persians had this, um, had a, a tradition. They would capture lions and they would keep them as pets. But they would also keep lions to execute people. And they would keep lions in this den, and what this den would, look, would have looked like would have been this man-made structure out of bricks or stone, or maybe with some, some bars so you can peer into the den. But the opening would have been at the top. It would have been a pit that you throw people in, and we know that it was a pit because it says that when the villains were thrown in, they were, before, before they even hit the ground, the lions devoured them, right? Broke all their bones. And so we know that this was a pit, a lion's den. This, there, there was a pit that Daniel was thrown into. And all throughout Scripture, this is so fascinating about Scripture because it has so many themes and so many connections all throughout Scripture, but all throughout Scripture, there's this imagery of a pit, and God rescuing his people from a pit. You can find it all the way from the Old Testament to the New. And we find it in Genesis chapter 37, where Joseph, he's thrown into a what? He's thrown into a pit by his brothers before he's sold into slavery. In Jonah chapter 2, he spends three days in the belly of a fish. And he compares it to being stuck in a pit. He says in verse 6 of chapter 2, But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. And Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah goes to a city and he prophesies of the destruction of the city and the leaders of the city don't like Jeremiah's prophecy so they take him and they throw him in a pit, a cistern. And he starts to sink down into the cistern in the muck and the mire and eventually uh, there's a rope that's lowered down to him and he is pulled out from the pit. And Psalms talks about this. It says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Lamentations 53. They tried to end my life in a pit and threw stones at me. The waters closed over my head. I thought I was about to perish. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you. And you said, do not fear. You, Lord, took up my case. You redeemed my life. And then we see here in Daniel chapter 6, he's thrown into a pit. 
or a lion's den. When you look at that Aramaic word, lion's den, it can also be translated a pit. There's this imagery of humanity finding itself at the bottom of a pit, and the only person that can pull them out of the pit is God himself. The only person that can rescue you from a pit is God himself. And what we see in this story of Daniel is not only is he rescued from the pit, but we also saw this in chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that he is actually in the pit with him. That he sent an angel to go into the den and shut the mouths of the lions. Just like the fiery furnace, there was a fourth person, a fourth being in the flames. And the message is that God is with you in the pit. He wants to rescue you, but while you're waiting for your salvation, he is, wait, he is there with you. And so many of us feel alone and isolated when we find ourselves accused or we find ourselves uh, going through trials and we find ourselves depressed and anxious and fearful. We feel alone, we feel isolated, but God wants you to know that I am with you in the pit. I am there to rescue you from the pit. The pit represents death. It represents hell. That's what the Bible is trying to paint this picture of death and hell, of this place that we need rescue from. Every person in this room has at one point in their life found themselves in the pit. Or maybe you still find yourself in the pit today, destined for death, destined for hell. And God is the only one capable of rescuing people from death, from the pit. In Ephesians 4.9, we see that Jesus lowered himself into a pit. Ephesians 4.9 says that he lowered himself into the lower parts of the earth when he died on the cross to rescue his people destined for death. That imagery of God coming into the pit to save us is a picture of Jesus coming down in the midst of our sin and pulling us out and setting our feet on a rock. Let me ask you this question this morning. Have you found yourself in a pit recently? Do you find yourself in a place that you cannot escape from. Maybe it's a place of fear or anxiety. Maybe you are drowning in sorrow because of the loss of a loved one. Are you sinking in debt? Are you surrounded by a cloud of depression or fear? Where do you find yourself this morning? Do you find yourselves in a pit and in need of rescue? Because the message in Daniel chapter 6 is God wants to be in the pit with you. He wants to rescue you, but he is there with you, waiting with you. God is able to save you. He's the only one able to save you. Joseph, Jeremiah, Jonah, Daniel, all these men who find themselves in a pit, they couldn't pull themselves out. They could only call on God to rescue him. And this morning as we're here, that is what we're charged to do, is to call out to God for help, for rescue. The tendency is to isolate The tendency is to go away by yourself and try to figure it out all on your own. That will not save you. But we need to call on God and say, God, I need your help. I need you to save me. I wish we knew more of what happened that night in the lion's den. Instead, we get a look at what Darius did that night. He didn't sleep. He didn't have entertainment. He didn't eat. All we know about the lion's den is that an angel came and shut the mouths of the lions. But, I mean, Daniel wrote the book. He could have included a little bit more details. We want to know what happened when the stone rolled over the top, right? How big was the angel? What did he look like? Did the lions try at one point to eat you and the angel came and made them act like little kitties? I, don't, I want to know what happened that night. Did you sleep at all, Daniel? Or did you pray all night long? That's probably what he was doing. That's what I would have been doing. See, when many people read this story, they see the lion's den. This whole chapter really is, is, is the pinnacle 
of the narrative of Daniel, of what happened. But, but that night, only that, that the moment where he's thrown into the lion's den, it's only one or two verses. It's mostly unseen. We don't know what happened. We know the result, but we don't know the details of what happened that night. It's mostly an unseen story. But what we can see throughout the book of Daniel are the attitudes and the actions of Daniel that led him to this point of salvation. We can look at the person of Daniel and we can see the characteristics and the qualities and the trustworthiness of Daniel, who he was as a man. We can look to Daniel and Joseph as great examples for how to posture our hearts when we're calling on God and awaiting his rescue. And so for the remainder of this time together, I want to discuss the unseen actions or the unseen postures of Daniel's heart. What made him such a man of faith? What made him such a man of courage? What, you know, trustworthiness, faithfulness, humility, excellence, these are all fruits of Daniel's life. But where did these, these fruits originate from? How do I become a person like Daniel? What are the unseen attitudes of Daniel's heart? Again, I need to refresh my page. I should do this before I I get up here to speak. Here we go. Here's the first one. Daniel chose character over comfort. He chose character over comfort. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 3 says that Daniel was, had an excellent spirit. We knew that Daniel was excellent. We knew that he was trustworthy. We knew that his accusers couldn't find any fault in him. He was not negligent. He was trustworthy. There was no corruption in him. He's over, you got to picture this, that Daniel's over 80 years old, and he's a captive from his homeland, brought into slavery or, servi- or servitude under a, an empire that wants him to, to acclimate. And he's, his life is threatened multiple times by a king who says, if you don't interpret my, my dream, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush you. I'm going to turn your house into rubble. He sees his friends tossed in the fiery furnace. He, uh, he, he, he goes through all of these things. He's taken from his homeland. But instead of acting against the king in bitterness and unforgiveness, which would have been easy to do, He assisted the king. He assisted his rulers. He prayed for those who were in authority over him. He chose character over comfort. He chose the hard way over the easy way. Character will distinguish you in life. It will set you apart from other people. People notice character, and character leads to excellence and trustworthiness. Dr. Madison uh, Surratt taught mathematics at Vanderbilt for many years. And before giving a test... He would put things into perspective for his students by admonishing his class with these words. He would say, today I'm going to give two examinations, one in trigonometry and the other in honesty, and I hope you will pass them both. But if you must fail one, fail trigonometry. There are many good people in the world who cannot pass trigonometry, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass the examination of honesty. Choose character over comfort. This is one of the foundations of of Daniel and who he was as a person that led him to be in authority over these kingdoms and gave him so much favor with these kings. He chose character. And character is developed when nobody is watching, when nobody's looking. I think of King David. He didn't just wake up one morning with the faith and the courage to kill Goliath, right? Today I'm going to take on a giant. Where is he? Lead me to him. No. Daniel didn't just wake up with that faith and that courage. It was developed when nobody was watching, 
We know that Daniel slayed a bear and a lion when nobody was watching, and that prepared him for the battle that was going to take place in public. He was developing a history, a track record with the Lord, spending times in the field worshiping the Lord and, and, and doing these things in private when nobody was watching. What you do in private informs the attitudes and behaviors that you exhibit in public. Daniel prayed in private every day. And it was the little choices that he made when nobody was watching. The little choices that he chose to be faithful, that he chose to do the right thing. You know, Daniel was over 120 satraps. He, he, uh, Nebuchadnezzar gave him favor and put him over a lot of his kingdom. And I'm sure he had many opportunities to cut corners and maybe to skim a little cream off the top for himself, right? He sure, I'm sure he had many of those opportunities. But he chose character. Over comfort because he knew that it was the little choices every single day that I make when nobody is watching that affect my life in the public place and how God, uh, how, how he promotes me in the public place. Character was one of the qualities that we can see in Daniel. The next is that Daniel chose hope over despair. He chose hope over despair. Daniel's hope was in a coming salvation. Daniel didn't necessarily know that he would be saved from the lions. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, uh, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we know that we will not bow down to your idols. The same thing with Daniel. Daniel says, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I know what I've been called to do. I know what my character is telling me to do. I know what my convictions are calling me to do to continue to pray to God even though it's illegal, to continue to serve the Lord even though it's frowned upon, even though people detest me, people think I'm this or that, they make perceptions of me. He chose to hope in a coming salvation that wasn't necessarily salvation from the lion's den, but it was a salvation of the future, something else that he was looking forward to. See, those in Jesus, they don't fear rejection. People in Jesus don't fear ridicule. People who follow Jesus don't fear death because we know that we will see Jesus at the end of it all. We persevere because we have hope. We know that God will save us. You know, when tragedy strikes and adversity arises, there's, 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 there's an obvious difference between those who follow Jesus when tragedy strikes and those who don't follow Jesus when tragedy strikes. And I've been to memorial service in both, both camps. I've been to a memorial service of someone who did not know Jesus. And the attitude and the atmosphere is very somber. It's very sad because uh, nobody's really sure if they're ever going to see that person again. And there's a lot of grief in the room. And, and when we go to a, a memorial service of somebody who knew Jesus, yes, it's sad. Yes, people are grieving. Yes, there's tears. But there's this underlying current of hope and joy that I know I will see this person again. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. I will see this person again. We have a hope of a coming salvation. And this is the hope that Daniel kept his eyes fixed upon. Not necessarily... Salvation from the current troubles and the current trials that he's facing, but knowing that my God loves me and I will be united with him, that he wants to bring me close to him. The Bible tells us that God is doing something in the midst of adversity. When the money runs out, God's asking you to trust him. When you speak up for truth and people criticize you, God is shaping you in those moments. If we let God change us, it's not only good for us, but it's good for the world around us as well because it points people to God who moves regardless of, of adversity. 
The third thing that we can see in Daniel, we've already seen that he had character, he had hope, and he chose faith over fear. He chose faith over fear. In Daniel 6, verse 10, it says, When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, and he did exactly the same thing that he had done before. He prayed three times a day. Nothing changed for him. He didn't fear. He didn't cower. He didn't run away. He chose faith. That I'm, my God has asked me to follow him, to devote my love, my affection to him alone. I will serve him regardless of what the world around me is doing. Faith, and we see this in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is hope persevering. Faith is hope persevering. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. When you have a hope of a coming salvation, when you have a hope that God can save me and he will save me, it's being sure of what you cannot see. It's, it's keeping your eyes on, on the promise of God and allowing that hope to persevere in the midst of adversity. And perseverance, that type of faith, it takes endurance. It takes, it takes, pers- it takes perseverance. And perseverance means doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Perseverance involves tenacity, resolve, and endurance. You may persevere. You may exhibit endurance when you work out. Maybe some of you in here in this room, you go to the gym and you work out. And though your body is telling you to stop and your mind is telling you to stop, I need a break. What do you do? You persevere. You endure because you know that the reward at the end of this pain is much greater if you keep on going. A few years back, my sister and I hiked up a ridge on Mount Hood called Yoakum Ridge. We saw pictures. My brother did it first, and he posted a bunch of pictures. He spent the night at the top of this ridge. And, and um, when my sister and I saw the pictures, we said, hey, you want to do that together? Let's go together, you and I. We'll hike to the top. We'll spend the night. And uh, we called my brother, and we said, hey, Brian, we're going to hike back up Yoakum Ridge. Do you want to do it again? He goes, no. No, one time was enough for me. I'm, I'm gonna, you guys have fun. I'll, I'll, I'll just wait for your pictures. So my sister and I, we started the trip, and here's the, here's the backstory. My sister just got done running a half Ironman marathon, and she's fit as a fiddle. Like, my sister is like, she's always in shape. And so here I am, you know, 15 pounds after a new baby, and, you know, eating, eating right before bed, and that's the extent of my exercise. And I, I decided to do this with my sister, and we start up, and it started off easy enough, but it, you know, in the course of like a four mile, in the course of like four miles, you're climbing over 2,000 feet in elevation, and so it gets steep really, really fast, and so my sister and I, uh, we're, we're on the trail, and she's talking my ear off. Oh, my goodness. How you, I mean, it's, such, it's so great that we can catch up like this, Blake. You know, how are your kids doing? Oh, I'm just so excited. That we could grow up together. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just trying my best to keep on breathing. And I'm just giving her those, yep, yep, yep. Kind of nods. Yep, oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, you're not talking much, Blake. And Yeah, I know. Just keep, let's keep going. I kid you not, the last quarter of a mile, I was on my hands and knees. I was literally, we stopped to take a break, and I stiffened up, and I, I, I literally had to pick up my leg and just move it because it was so steep. I was so exhausted. My sister had stamina. She had endurance. She had perseverance. I did not because I did not prepare for the hike. I did not expect to be met with that adversity. 
And like David and Daniel, you don't wake up one day with God-like character. You don't wake up one day with God-like faith, with compassion, with humility, with honesty. You develop faith by exercising your hope in Jesus throughout adversity. When you persevere, Romans chapter 5 says that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. That when you persevere and when you endure throughout adversity and even in the midst of adversity, in the midst of trial, in the midst of depression, in the midst of grief or whatever is going on, you keep your eyes, you keep your hope fixed on Jesus, your faith is built inside of you. It's the way that we exercise our faith. It's the way that we build our faith is by keeping our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And the last one is this. That Daniel chose love over life. He chose his love for God over his own life. See, the unseen posture of Daniel's heart was a deep love for God. He had a deep, abiding love for God. It didn't matter what happened to him because he loved God. He knew that God loved him. And the Bible tells us that Daniel prayed three times a day. Now, praying three times a day, that takes commitment. That takes, some of us have a hard time praying for five minutes straight because we get distracted. And, and if you're like me around March Madness, I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I want to look at my bracket every two seconds and see if I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win the bracket tournament with my friends. I get distracted. <clears throat> but Daniel chose love. I remember we hosted, our family hosted a foreign exchange student when I was going to OSU my freshman year. We had a student uh, come stay with us for the holidays. He was from Saudi Arabia. And you know, you remember like uh, in 2000, when was that? 2008, 2007, 2008, I think it was around that time, we had a big snowstorm. There was a ton of snow on the ground. And I, I, I hear you guys experienced a lot of snow as well, but in Oregon, we lived on the Columbia Gorge and we had a lot of snow. And this guy from Saudi Arabia had never seen snow in his life. And here we've got like two feet of it. And he'd come out and he was just dizzy and stuff. But every day, this guy, he, he was a devout Muslim. And he, uh, he stayed in my room with me, but three times a day, before the sun rose, he'd go in his room and he'd pray to Allah. And then in the afternoon, he'd pray, and in the evening, he'd pray. And it showed me the commitment that he had to worshiping his God. And uh, believe you me, my mom and I, we, we and our family, we, we, we talked to him about Jesus. We talked to him about his faith a lot. But I was always struck with the commitment that he had But here's the thing, praying three times a day takes commitment, but praying three times a day when your life is on the line and when you're threatened with execution, that takes a love for God. That takes devotion. That takes takes something else. That's more than just commitment. That is a deep, abiding love for your God, knowing that, that he loves you deeply, that you love him deeply. Daniel trusted God because There was a relationship that had been fostered for years. And when you spend time with God, you develop this track record, just like Daniel did in the fields. You develop this history with God. And and you start to think to yourself of all the times that God has been faithful to you in your past. And so when adversity comes up, you think, God's been faithful in the past. Why would he ever change now? God provided in the past. Why do I have to worry now? When there's this love for God and this history with God, you can look back on the relationship. You can look back on his track record and know that he's been faithful. His love for me has never failed me, so why should I worry now? 
Why should I get consumed in grief? Why should I get consumed in worry about my finances or, or fear of my kids or, or, or whatever else? We just know that when we spend time with God, we develop a track record from Him. And we can look back on that life and go, God has never failed me. He's not going to stop now. I'm going to invite Jennifer to come up as we close. I love King Darius's declaration at the end of this. I love how every... Every king, every pagan king who's experienced the power of God face to face, they can't help but acknowledge the greatness of God. They can't help but acknowledge the sovereignty of God, that he is above all things, that he is above all trouble, all adversity. He is above it all. And Darius, he did the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar did when he witnessed God's power. He declared... He is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heavens and on the earth. And he had rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. What pit do you find yourself in today? Are you living among some lions in your life? Are you staring the lions in the face right now? What do you find yourself in today? Are the lions circling you? Are you waiting for someone to save you from the mess that you're in? And maybe maybe you've tried different things. Like I said, maybe you've tried to isolate. Oh, I'm just in a funk and I don't want people to experience me when I'm, when I'm in a funk. Maybe you're at home online and it was a struggle uh, just, to, just to turn on YouTube. You didn't want to come to church. Maybe, maybe it was for COVID reasons. Maybe it was just because it's just hard to be around the people of God right now because of what you're going through. And, and I would encourage you right now just to reach out to God in this moment. Reach out to God. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him for, for help. Ask Him to increase your faith, to increase your hope, to increase your character, whatever that is. Church, I want to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to pray together. But first, before we pray, I want to extend an invitation to you. Two invitations. I want to, I, I, I like to do this often, but the first invitation is, is just for those people who, who need saving, who need help. And we're going to do something different. And I'm going to ask you to be so bold uh, to raise your hand if you're in this room and you say, I need, I need help. I need, I need rescue. And whatever area it is, because if that's you... Every one of us needs help. Every one of us needs help at some point. But we, you have a church body here who is here for you, who wants to pray with you. And so I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to come up to the stage or anything. I just want you to raise your hand if you admit, I need some help. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Whether it's emotionally, physically, spiritually, look around the room. If you have somebody with their hands raised next to you, would you put, their hand, put your hand on their shoulder? Just put your hand on them. If you see somebody next to you with, with their hand up, and, and let's, can we get some people over here at the brewers, put their hands on the brewers, and, and find, make sure that nobody is standing here with their hands up. There's some people on the back with their hands up. Can some people go to those people on the back, lay their hands on them? We all need help at some point, but I want you to pray right now just for 30 seconds. Pray right now for them. I'm, I'm going to pray at the end of this 30 seconds, but just pray for them as you would want somebody to pray for you. Pray for hope. Pray for courage. Pray for faith. Pray for healing, whatever that is. Jesus, we invite you into this place. God, move in this place. 
Restore hearts. Restore relationships. Heal broken bodies. Give hope back where it has been taken away, where people have been lost in despair. Come now, Jesus. Come now, Jesus. Father, right now I pray for every hand that's been raised in this room, and I pray that, God, every person who is, is asking for help, God, you see the cries of your people. God, you, you empathize with us. You have compassion for us because, Jesus, you said that you came on the earth to experience it just as we experienced. You know what heartbreak feels like, Jesus. You know what pain feels like. You know what despair feels like. You know how, what it feels to be betrayed by people that you love and And God, we just ask right now that your comfort would come and surround people in this room. Give them faith that they've never had before. Give them hope that they've never had before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The second invitation I wanna ask is if there's anybody in this room, both online, if you're online and you're watching, I'd love for you to comment and, and, and say something to us. But if you're in this room and you've never said yes to the person of Jesus Christ, you don't know what salvation looks like. You, you feel that you've been in a pit. You identify with being lost. And you say, today I need salvation. I need God to pull me from the pit and set my feet on the rock. If that's you in this room, would you raise your hand and just, just, just lift it up to God. Give it to him. And if that's you online, I just encourage you to put something in the comments as well. Nobody wait. Nobody hesitate. God is waiting to pull you from the pit. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your saving power. And I just pray, Lord, that this week as we continue on with our lives, God, maybe we experience your presence here at church. And and would it not just linger here at church, but would it go with us? Would your presence go with us out of this building? in our drives to work, in our, in our living rooms, at home with our families and spouses. And God, you know, maybe we live alone and we're, we're in the house. Would your, would your presence surround us? In Jesus' name, we give you all of the praise in your name. And the church said, amen.